Hey everyone, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. Thanks for finding the pod, and thank you for listening. It is January 2nd, 12.07pm here on the West Coast, and today I'm going to talk about the Australian warm-up tournaments that are in progress early in the first week of the season here, United Cup, Adelaide, Auckland, all that good stuff. First, let's start with our deep dive segment. This means I watched a match closely, tried to pay attention with my analytical eye as much as I could, and we'll start with a deep dive into one of the night matches from overnight. Number two in the world, Rafa Nadal, taking on number 24, Alex Damonar, in a Spain versus Australia United Cup group stage match. And this is a fun one. In the first set, Rafa got the better of it, six games to three. Um, Damonar got a break in the middle of the set to go up 3 2 with a break. But then he did not win another game. He lost his serve two times in a row. And Damonar early on was playing quite well. And I thought throughout the entire match, first point to the last point, his level was consistently very high. Moving well, getting to balls, hitting some good shots. That's the kind of analysis that you need me for. This player won because he hit good shots. But anyway, I thought Nadal's best run of form in the match was this four-game stretch at the end of the first set when he played at an above-average level compared to what he did in the rest of the match. And it's kind of interesting. Nadal broke in the first game of the second set, So Rafa was up 6-3, one love with a break, and I think he had a game point in that game, and he did not go on to win the match. And even more surprisingly, he was up 6-3, one love with a break, and then he got virtual bageled to lose the second set 1-6. Again, I thought Damonar played well for the whole match, and he definitely deserved to get the win in the end, which we'll get to. For me, the story of this match is much more uh, Rafa's form, or lack thereof. Even in the second set, he was already running out of gas, was Rafa. He wasn't getting as well to balls the further the match wore on, He was having an issue with his serve. It felt to me like his serve percentage went down as the match went on. Let's check the stats here to see if the stats back that up. And we have now reached the part of the podcast where I fumble around complaining about the stats and how I can't find the stats. I just got to fill the time here till I get the line that I'm looking for. So let's go set by set. Nadal's serve percentage in the first set, he was 63%, and in the second set, it was, oh, 65%. That surprises me. Oops, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the stats are lying. 
Let's check the third set. I don't see serve speed here. Okay, third set, Rafa's first serve percentage was 54%. So there it is. There's the stat to back me up. Um, going back to the second set, it was 6-1 in the favor of, of Damon R, but the, the second set, which was seven games, was longer in duration than the first set, which was nine games. A 6-1 set took 54 minutes, and a lot of the games went to deuce. Rafa had lots of breakpoint opportunities to get back into that second set. And as we've seen with Rafa over the years, if he gets one of those chances and gets back into a match, chances are that he's got the mo, he's got the crowd, even though it's in Australia, he's got the match play experience to where he can use that to maybe win this match in straight sets. But he was unable to do that. Just for example, Damonar was serving at... 3-1, had to save a break point to hold. He was serving later at 5-1, and he had to hold from love 40 to close the set out, 6-1. So it was a competitive 6-1 set for the Australian. In the third set, again, the stats will say that Damon R was the better player in the third set, because he was. Just looking at the third set from a stats perspective... First serve percentage, Rafa 54%, Damon R 75. He was feeling it. He was playing quite well. First serve points won. Damon R was six percentage points better. Break points saved. Rafa was 0 for 2 on saving break points, and Damon R was uh, 4 out of 5, 80%. But the third set, for a good portion of it, for the first 10 games of the third set, it was about a match play scenario. That was the most important part of the match because this is when the crowd was the most of a factor. And going back to the start of the match, it was really interesting. The announcer at the stadium announced... Each team, they announced the captains, and then they announced the players. And for a couple of the Australian players, there was not that much of a reaction because they're not really that well-known. And Damonar was the last guy to be announced. And, you know, the Demon is not a top, top tennis tier kind of guy. You know, number 24 is not number one in terms of notoriety. But he got a huge roar from the crowd, and I thought that was pretty cool. People appreciate the uh, lunch pail nature of Demon. And when the Spanish team was announced, all the players walked out onto the court immediately one after the other. So, you know, Rafa was the last guy in line. He was fifth or sixth or whatever. And when he walked out and when the fans were able to put their eyes on him, there was a huge roar, even though they were announcing the name of somebody three spots in front of him. So I thought that was, uh, that was pretty amusing. Because that, that, with all due respect to, uh, you know, Pablo Carreno Busta and Badosa and them, 
that cheer was for Rafa when when Rafa came on the court there. Going back to the third set, it became a match play sort of scenario where Rafa was able to blunt the momentum against him by getting a couple of holds. He got uh, he got a did he get a lead? No, he didn't. Uh, but it was one all, two all, and in that situation, when the crowd is living and dying with every point, both guys were playing their best during this period early in the third set. Uh, it became your typical Rafael Nadal tight match, hyped up crowd, good shot experience. So that was fun, and Rafa went up five four on serve. And he got to 30-all in the next game. So with Demon serving 4-5, 30-all, Rafa was two points from winning. And again, it's not too often that you see Rafa a set and a breakup. And then later on, two points from the match. And then ending up losing. We don't see that very often. The last two games, very surprising. So it was 30-all. Yeah, I'm just noticing this for the first time. So it was 4-5, 30-all. And from that point on, Damonar won every single point of the match. He won his two points to hold. And then the next game, the 5-all game that Rafa served, was a very poor game. The game was four points long. Rafa was broken at love. And each one was on an unforced error. The first one into the net. Then... Uh, the next three, they were long errors. The ball flew on Rafa out of nowhere, and very, very quickly, out of nowhere, he played a terrible game, and Damonar served it out at love the next game to win. So winning the last 10 points of the match, Alex Damonar beats world number two, Rafa, 3-6, 6-1-7-5. And total points, 100-92. to 92. What does this mean for both guys? It's a good win for Demon. And for Rafa, he is now 0-2 on the season, and it's only January 2nd. We'll look up that in just a minute. I think it's fine. I think he played two guys that are ranked pretty highly. He went three sets against both of them. He doesn't care about the United Cup, really. It's about getting practice for Australia, and he will beat up on some guys in the early rounds that'll be much lower ranked than Cam Norrie and Alex Damon are, and he'll be there at the end of the tournament just like he always is. So for Rafa, this, this was the dress rehearsal. Let's do the real thing in a couple weeks in Melbourne. Um, I do know that Spain has been eliminated from the United Cup, so Rafa will not be getting any more matches. I don't really care about the group standings right now. It's honestly too complicated for me to follow. That's something that the United Cup could fix for next year, maybe. Once we get to the semifinal stage, it becomes a lot clearer to understand and worth the investment of understanding. So 
once the semifinals are here, I'll start paying attention more to the group, to, to the to the to the patriotic sort of nature of all of this. Now, my second deep dive, Taylor Fritz and Alexander Zverev played earlier, and let's talk about both players. This one is much more of a narrative kind of deep dive. Oh, I'm sorry. Oop, oop, this is bad podcasting. We have to go back to the other one for a second. So, interesting stat on Rafa. So it's January 2nd, and Rafa has already two losses on the season. Last year, he had the amazing start, and he did not lose his second match until, wait for it, well, first of all, he didn't lose his first match until March 20th, and he didn't lose his second match until probably May 6th, so when he lost to Alcaraz in the quarters of Madrid. So, two losses on January 2nd this year. Last year, loss number two did not come until May. It is already a different kind of season for Rafa Nadal. Anyway, going back to my second deep dive, Taylor Fritz took on Alexander Zverev. The match really wasn't notable. It was... Even even at three love, I thought the match was kind of over. And I know you have a chance to come back and stuff, and you can't you can never say it's over till it's over. But at some point, that is a factor. Like if I played Rafa and I got down three love, the match would be over. And I'm not saying that the that the gap between Fritz and Zverev is that wide, but it was pretty damn wide today. So it was uh, Fritz winning. 6-1-6-4. He had a couple bad games, did Fritz kind of early in the second set, but he did not get into territory even remotely close to blowing the match. So let's talk about the momentum of both players. Fritz is a guy that I've said doesn't interest me that much in the past. Um, but even just, even just the two matches very, very early in the season... Fritz looks like he's come to play. He has to be included on the list of Australian Open contenders for sure. He's already number nine in the world, and who knows, maybe he can get better. But he has momentum and confidence right now. Does that mean he's going to beat Djokovic if they play? No. Does that mean he's absolutely going to win a major? No. Could this great momentum translate to Losing early or losing a high-profile match in a high-leverage situation? Sure it does. It's happened all the time in tennis. It's happened for years and years. But right now, if you were buying Taylor Fritz stock, that would be a very good idea. Zverev, he looked like a lost little puppy. He did not believe in himself at all. The injury was consuming his thoughts visibly um his game plan was he was questioning his game plan visibly he had a visible and noticeable glaringly so lack of clarity he was completely unmoored at sea and it was kind of sad really it was uncomfortable to watch 
especially in the first set. It was very awkward. It was kind of... It crossed the line from schadenfreude to just flat-out uncomfortable. And uh, how much time should we give Zverev? Obviously, he's not ready yet. When should he? When should he target being ready? What date? Um, should uh, Jim Courier said on the tennis TV broadcast that Zverev should be given until this year's Roland Garros to get back into the swing of things, and that's four months. I mean, I understand, but on one hand, yes, take the time that you need. On the other hand, you know, Zverev would hope and, you know, I would certainly hope that it takes him less than four months to come back after an injury. And yes, it was a devastating injury, um, but let me throw this out there. If Rafa Nadal's coming back from injury, if Roger Federer's coming back from injury, if Novak Djokovic is coming back from injury... Do we automatically say, oh, you got four months to just figure it out? Federer came back and won a Grand Slam immediately. Djokovic came back in 2017 and actually, or 2018, and actually didn't do that great early on. I still remember those losses to Taro Daniel and someone else I can't remember. But immediately, a couple months after that, he won Wimbledon. Nadal has had many injuries. He's come back. He's won majors pretty gosh darn near immediately. So are we judging Zverev by that standard? Or are we judging him by, frankly, looser standards than that? I understand the injury happened and all this stuff. And I understand that you need to develop the trust in your body and all this. But hopefully he goes more of the big three route in responding to this than he does uh, the route of somebody like a Juan Martin Del Potro, a guy who just became a shattered human being because of injuries. So hope Zverev can figure that out. So that was my second deep dive there. Now we come to the this, we come to the uh, the most entertaining part of the podcast. This is truly, truly like investigative journalism at its finest here. Okay, let's look at the scores from today. First, let's check out the United Cup. These are results from Monday, January 2nd, 2023. Taylor Fritz beat Alexander Zverev, 6-1, 6-4. Madison Keys beat Nehemiah, 6-2, 6-3. The U.S. is up 2-0 in that tie. Remember, these go over multiple days. Spain and Australia are tied 1-1. Alex Damonar beat Rafael Nadal 3-6-6-1-7-5. Perez Diaz beat Maddie Inglis 6-1-6-3. Greece and Belgium are 1-1. Despina Papa Mikhail lost to Alison Van Utvank. AVU gets the win, 7-5-2-6-6-3. Stefanos Tsitsipas beat David Goffan, 6-3-6-2. Six, six, 
Croatia is up 2 nothing on France. Vekic over Cornet, 4-3. and three. Choric over Rinderneck, 7-6, 7-6. Italy is up 2 nothing over Norway. Martina Trevisan beat Malene Helgo, 7-5-3-6-6-4. Lorenzo Musetti beat Victor Durasovic, 7-6-6-3. Did I say that already? The Trevisan score was 7-5-3-6-6-4. Sorry if I misread that there. Poland and Switzerland are split 1-1. Iga Sviantek beat Blenda Bencic, 6-3-7-6. Daniel Mikalski Mikalski beat Marc-Andrea Hussler. Oh, no, wait, nope. Dang, website. Hussler beat Mikalski, 6-3-6-2. Hey, ATPTour.com, guys, print your scores with the winner on the left-hand side, please. Like, it says 3-6-2-6. Like, get that mess out of here. Put whoever won. Put it from the winning perspective, please. Um, Elsewhere in the ATP world, Adelaide. Results from yesterday. Oh, yeah. I didn't mention this one. Alexei Poprin beat Felix Auger-Aliassim 6-4-7-5. Felix losing a match to a guy that's not that notable, Alexi Poprin. I'm going to rip off the tennis podcast here and ask you guys, when was the last time you thought about Alexi Poprin? Felix has these inexplicable losses. Right now, he's your number 9, number 10 in the world type guy that can get to some quarters, win a 500 here and there to get that top 10 ranking, but is a guy that suffers inexplicable losses on a fairly regular basis. Kokonakis beat Maxime Cressy, the greatest player in the world, 7-6, 7-6. Kikmanovic over O'Connell, 4-4. Four and four. Djokovic and Pospisil lost their doubles, so they're out of there. Interesting that Djokovic and Pospisil paired up here because they are the uh, guys that are the head of the PTPA Players Association. Interesting, isn't it? Yoshihito Nishioka defeated the other greatest player in the world, Holger Rune, 2-6-6-4-6-4. Holly beat Thompson 3-4. Safulin, who came to prominence at last year's ATP Cup, beat Mikhail Ymir 6-4-6-2. Jack Draper beats Kwan 2 and 1. And finally in the ATP from India in Pune. Uh, results from yesterday. Mo beat... Oh, God. I'm not even going to try that. It's an Indian wild card I've never heard of. Mo gets the win 6-2, 6-4. Okay, fine. Manas Manoj Dahamni... Yeah, this dumb American over here doesn't know how to pronounce any of these names. Sorry. Laszlo Jerry, I think I got that one right, beat Molchan, 2-4. and four. Krajanovic beat Summit Nagal, who I actually have heard of before, 6-4, 4-6, 6-4. Carbeas Baina 
beat Zapata Morales six one seven five. Cachinado beat Bashlash Vili two and two. Bonzi over Sang Love and three. Talon Greekspor beats Munar six four seven five. On let's take a look at the WTA side. Adelaide yesterday. Sam Sonova beat Zhang five seven six three six love. Rybakina, the Wimbledon champion, defeated the defending Aussie Open finalist Danielle Collins five seven six two six three. Kostyuk beat Forless six one three six six four. Kudermatova beat Anasimova six three six love. Begu beat Shelby Rogers. 367661. Noskova beat Kasatkina 6-3-6763. Then finally, let's take a look at Auckland, where Venus Williams gets the victory. Every year that she's been on tour since 1994, Venus Williams has a WTA tour win. Um, t- 2021. It was a win in doubles. Every other year also includes a win in singles. But let's make the stat inclusive. Let's say that Venus Williams has won a WTA-sanctioned match every year since 1994 and add 2023 to that list. Venus gets the win over an American qualifier, Volunitz, 7662. Um, rain-delayed match, Para and Kuzmova at 5-4. Grab, oh boy. Grab her, Grabber, G-R-A-B-H-E-R, beats Martin Kova, 5-7-6-1-6-2. Leila Fernandez beats Fruvatova, Fruvatova. Woo! I'm having a great pronunciations day here, guys. Layla gets the win, 6-1-6-1. Bonaventure beats McNally, 5-7-6-4-6-4. Zhu beats Brangle, 4-6-7-6-6-4. Marino beats Galfi, 6-3-7-6. It's all happening, folks. Look at all these results that happened. And I'm... 26 minutes in already? I I was aiming for 20 minutes, but guess not. It's January 2nd, and things are happening already. Very exciting. It seems to me like this period of the calendar is becoming bigger. Because the Australian Open is the only Grand Slam that does not have a Masters 1000 event that leads up to it. And for a long time, the beginning of the tennis season the first and second week before the Australian Open, it was very slow, low-stakes tournaments. But that feels to me like it's changing. The powers that be have made the United Cup a 500-point event. The WTA events are 500-point events. And the ATP events, even though it's just a 250, it has a lot of top 10 players in it. So... I think there is much more the feeling of a quote-unquote Australian swing. Because you can't, you can't really call one tournament an Australian swing. 
But now it's a genuine four-week stretch of Australian tennis. And I'm feeling that more than ever this year. So it's kind of exciting that this part of the calendar now has much more of a sort of shape, crescendo, ending with a climax feel to it. So now let's get into the schedule for tomorrow, local time. This will be January 3rd. And just before I do that, I always like to say the local time of the, of the tournament, right? So in, uh, in Sydney right now, it's 7.35 a.m., so big time difference there. Anyway, this is the schedule for January 3rd, 2023. For all the stateside listeners, this will be the overnight from January 2nd to January 3rd. And for simplicity... I will be doing these in uh, Eastern and uh, Pacific time. So let's start with the United Cup. I haven't seen the schedule yet, so let's react together. (sighs) Looking for interesting matches. I respect the players that are on this list, but I'm not seeing too much that grabs my attention here on the United Cup. Okay, here's one. Matteo Berrettini versus Casper Ruud. Very nice. And this will be at 10 a.m. local in Brisbane. So it's time to do the conversion. Taking up valuable podcasting seconds, typing this in. 10 a.m. Brisbane time. 7 p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Pacific time tonight. On the second, Matteo Berrettini, Casper Rude. And at 4.30, let me just get the conversion here first. And then I will say the matchup. Type, 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 type. Click, click, click. 1.30 a.m. Eastern Time is Hubert Hercotch versus Stan Wawrinka. 1.30 a.m. East. 10.30 p.m. West. Let's move on to the tournaments for the third. And we got some good ones here. So this starts at 11 in Adelaide. Type, type, type time. 11 a.m. Adelaide. Adelaide time. So this is 7.30 Eastern. So... 7.30 a.m. So, nope, nope. 7.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. Daniil Medvedev makes his debut for the season against Lorenzo Sonigo. And that's followed by Novak Djokovic against Constant Lestien. So, again, to recap. 7.30 Eastern. 4.30 Pacific today. Medvedev's opener. Followed by Djokovic's opener. After that, Azarenka. After that, Rublev. So I would say Adelaide is the place to be today. Quickly covering off the other events. Ah, there it is. It took me about half an hour to say quickly. I was trying not to do that. I just want to move on to the next point. So let's do that. Auckland. In Auckland for today... Looking, 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 stalling. Auckland, Auckland. 
stall, stall, stall. Not, I'm not going to cut this out either. I'm just going to leave it in. <sighs> sorry, sorry. Clicking through, clicking through. Where's the Auckland stuff? Do, do, do. Okay, here it is. Uh, order of play. Hmm, Radakanu's playing. Goff is playing third after two. Again, that'll be in the middle of the night. She's playing Tatiana Maria. Maybe Maria was the Wimbledon semifinalist. Maybe I've been spouting misinformation. Anyway, and then Stevens plays after that. They should win their matches comfortably, and if they don't, they don't deserve to be talked about anyway. And then Puna. Radu Albot versus Tim Van Rijthoven. TVR! Playing in 2023 at the tour level. Good for him. Hopefully he can win another tour event this year. That'd be interesting. And those are all your schedules. I don't think I got anything more to say. I think this was my best pod episode since I came back so far. And we'll, we'll leave it there. We're going to put the music in right here. Thanks for listening. Let's enjoy the tennis tonight, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. This podcast was courtesy of, you guessed it, Argon Productions.